And the result of where my business is all a result of pain, just period. So today I own property management company. We've got 85 employees. I own a private equity company. I'm a partner in an educational consulting firm and I'm a partner in a brokerage. So all those came out of pain. You know, out of pain in a W-2 job, I'm going to create this private equity company. You know, massive pain in the W-2 job. Like, you know, it's awful. So much pain on some deals, you know, several years back, had to create a property management company. Not because I wanted to, but because the stars aligned on the right people and I was in so much pain, property management company, right? Had people come into me to, to learn multifamily, that got painful. We created a whole coaching company around it. Coaching company starts growing. We have the pain of, now I'm looking at all these deals for our coaching clients. We need a brokerage to handle this. So almost to the point where when something slaps me in the face, I go, all right, we might be turning in a new direction here. I've seen it enough times. All right, what new process, business, or thing is going to come out of this that I'm going to say, oh, so freaking glad that happened. You are listening to the Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Harris. And when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm the founder of an award-winning real estate investment firm and actively investing in commercial real estate all over the country. This show allows me to interview, dive deeper, and deconstruct many passive wealth principles, not just from investing, but tactics, strategies, and many fascinating ways in which people have achieved levels of passive wealth. Through my nearly 20-year career as a professional investor, I've built an amazing network of people and come across some super savvy investors. Not only do they have a unique stance on the marketplace, but look at the same problems we all face and many times have come up with a simple but unconventional approach to solving them. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast. It allows me to unpack and have a more in-depth conversations with these special guests. Selfishly, It's a platform where I get to ask the questions that would never come up in a normal conversation and I get a chance to learn and dissect their best strategies and you get to be a part of that process as well. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversations and these amazing passive wealth principle lessons. Welcome to the Passive Wealth Principles. I'm your host, Jake Harris. Today, I have a very special guest, uh, Devin Elder. Devin Elder uh, runs a very uh, big multifamily investing operations in San Antonio, Texas. He also has other avenues of of business. He does some land, buying some ranches. Uh, He's doing some flex industrial. He's got a coaching program that teaches people how to buy multifamily assets, uh, apartment educators. He's also been someone that I have invested with and we have invested and done deals together. And so you get, and this is an opportunity for me, dive a little bit deeper, hear some of those backstories of how he built his business, how he exited his W-2 income, how he you know started to systematize his success. And one of the things of staying in his uh, lane was, you know, amplifying and not making mistakes. We talk about this in a few different analogies around golf. We also talk about some of the ways he's spending his time today. So this is a fantastic episode that I'm really proud of and excited that you guys get to hear from my friend, Devin Elder. And now on into the episode. (music) 
Devin Elder, welcome to the Passive Wealth Principles podcast show. That's a lot of P's, Passive Wealth Principles podcast show. Um, I am, man, I'm stoked to have you on here. I was a guest on your show. I want to say it was maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, we've done some deals together, but not only that, I want to actually take it back. And I, I feel like it was like maybe six years ago that you and I first met and it was my first GoBundance event. I want to say it was Steamboat. And, you know, kind of you, you connecting up and you are sharing some stuff and, and maybe I'll just be, you know, divulging open the kimono, but you're like your things about like your cell phone and how like it was so easy to kind of be uh, distracted by your cell phone. And as a family man, it was something that you wanted to maybe put in practice to, to navigate around that. Do you remember that event? And, uh, you know, what were some kind of action steps that you took away from that first initial uh, meeting? Yeah, 100%. It was great, great event. And thanks for having me on, Jake. Great to see you. Uh, you know, usually we connect in San Antonio when you're here, but this is awesome to be on your podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, GoBundance, you know, gosh, we've both been a part of GoBundance for years. I do remember that event. I do remember, um, you know, kind of struggling, having a young family and trying to figure out kind of boundaries around you know, cell phone and being always on, always tied to maybe not even tied to work, just tied, just being addicted to your device. Right. I mean, whether it's a Twitter feed or, or whatever else, and just kind of struggling with that while I was watching my children's lives, just, just go by and watch them grow up in real time. So I think, you know, one of the huge things about GoBundance for me is just having a place to connect with like-minded people, business owners. Right. I mean, I, t I was telling my COO, I actually had him join another group for that purpose. I'm like, dude, you don't have peers. Like your employees are not your peers. I'm your closest peer and I'm not your peer, right? I'm the owner of the company. So, you know, there's things that you cannot really be, you know, fully open with, with me about. I get that. So huge proponent of getting in the room with, with peers. And, you know, there's just, your spouse is not going to understand what, you're going through as a business owner, as much as they try, they're not in those shoes. Your employees aren't, your investors aren't. So, you know, that's, we always say, get in the, get in the right room with, with people that are doing things you want to be doing. And, um, big fan of that, big fan of that approach. Yeah. There's so many great insights around exactly that was, I don't know. I, I feel like you've been on like a rocket ship, uh, maybe like a, I don't know, 20 X that you've grown on since we've known each other as far as maybe on your net worth and maybe your your cash flow and your passive cash flow and all these other things. And, and so um, I've seen it real time how uh, you have been able to be very, very successful at, you know, putting those practices into your business. So it's like, you know, from that and obviously cell phone, you know, and me, same thing, young kids, young family, you know, stuff that it's just like, man, you, you want to be there, but you're also running a business and it's, you're thinking about it 100% of the time. Like you're laying there in bed right. and you're thinking about your business. And it's just like, so it's like this dichotomy of, of how, and where you can commit your mental energy. So it was like, my question is going to be towards like, what are some of the steps along that journey that is taking you to 20 X, you know, maybe on your, your net worth, or maybe, you know, again, that arbitrary number it could be 10, it could be 50. I don't know what it was, you know, before, but it was like, what are some of those key steps in that first couple of years? And then how has that grown and, and translated to your businesses and what you're doing today? Yeah. Such great questions. I think one, it, there's, there's a lot there, but 
one that comes top of mind for me is, is the right vehicle. And, you know, at some point in my thirties, I realized a W2 job was not the right vehicle to let's say become fill in the blank, right? A multimillionaire, own your time, you know, whatever it is you want to do, reduce your taxes. I mean, you know, you name it, but the, I was not in the right vehicle. So I, I got into real estate and then, and then I discovered that I was still not in the right vehicle and kind of these single family houses. I didn't want to own a thousand houses or whatever. So just picking a game that could get you there to whatever there is, right? You know, a net worth target or, or whatever the case. So picking the right vehicle, I think is, is the first step because, um, you know, what I discovered in corporate America was climbing the ladder, blah, 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 blah. And then at some point you realize this ladder is against the wrong building, right? So it doesn't matter how smart I am, how fast I raced up it, how good I get at manipulating the ladder. <laughs> it's the wrong building. I don't even want to be at the top of that building. Ah, shoot. So got to get off that ladder, get on another ladder that actually takes me somewhere I want to be, which is, you know, time freedom, money freedom. So that was that was number one. I think picking the right vehicle and multifamily was that because it's it's more scalable in my experience. You can build teams. You, it's you're buying businesses and you know today's term sheets, notwithstanding, you generally get pretty good debt on these things, right? So um, that that was kind of the first step, picking the right vehicle. And then number two, you know, I had a mentor early on, and this just said something dumb off the cuff, and it never left me. He said, "You build the whole system." And all the pieces, you write it all out. And then you ask yourself, how can I do none of this? And I just thought, nobody's ever, nobody ever told me that. You know, to me, that I would have thought that would be seen as lazy or whatever the case is. But what I've found over years of running a business is, you know, you think you're so smart that you don't hand stuff off to people. And the longer you don't hand stuff off, the more you're trapped at that level of your business. So I think if anything, other than maybe, you know, some luck along the way or some pure, just sheer will to keep going in the face of getting kicked in the teeth and just pick yourself up, keep going, other than some luck and some determination, I think the big thing has just been handing stuff off. And so I'm constantly in a process of building processes and handing them off. Let me build this process for publishing and producing a podcast and hand it off. Let me build this process for, for creating a world-class investor experience, and then let me hand this off. Let me create a process for creating a world-class uh, company culture, and then let me hand this off. Because if it's coming to me on a Friday at four o'clock and I'm out on the ranch with my boys, you know that decision or that task is going to be delayed till Monday, Tuesday, whereas you know, if I can just spend some time with somebody and make that their thing to be responsible for, now I'm freeing the business up. So trying to just get good at finding good people, good processes, and then creating an environment where it's their best option. You know, I mean, this Texas is an at-will work state. So I don't, anybody could leave anytime and I, they could, I could let them go anytime. And I just want to create an environment where they're looking at their options going, yeah, this is like the best thing I could be doing right now, whether it's company culture or, you know, an engaging job for them or whatever the case is. So been real happy on that last couple of years, finding the team to, you know, hand those pieces off to, which is super difficult, right? This company's kind of, it's been my baby and any entrepreneur can relate to handing those pieces off. But I think what, what happened for me was I kind of came full circle and I said, if you put a, you know, $100 million cash in my bank account right now, what would I do with it? Well, I'd invest it. Okay. I mean, it takes some to live off of, but not, 
not a hundred million to live off of. Um, then I'd invest it. Okay. What do I invest in? Well, most of it probably go into real estate. It's what I know. And it's done well for me. Okay. Well, who are you going to invest it with? Jeez, you know, multifamily operator. Okay. Well, let's just keep it going. I'm kind of already at that end where now what? Well, now we keep investing it. I'd rather be my management company and my private equity company running the deals. So it's kind of morphed into like a family office now where it's just, we just keep cycling this stuff. And the goal is, you know, to create a world-class company culture where, where people want to be and work and get promoted. And same thing on the investor side where investors want to just keep showing up and, you know, that's kind of a perpetual motion machine that I want to just keep, keep moving, keep doing deals, keep reinvesting it. And a part of that too, is now our foundation that gets a piece of those profits siphoned off. So now you've seen the foundation grow. That's probably the most exciting thing for me that's going on. And just keep it all going. Cause the alternative is I what hand, hand stuff over to a money manager or hand stuff over to a, another operator that's using a, you know, a third party property management company that's going to be doing a half-assed job. Like I, I know where all, how the sausage is made. And so it's maybe harder for me in some cases to, to hand off capital, you know, for, for, for somebody else. So want to just keep building the company and, and basically, you know, not sell it, just keep, sit, buy and sell assets, but the management and the private equity, just kind of keep that in house and, and just keep it rolling. I love that. You know, I, I explain that is, as someone is, you know, even I've had some people reach out, you know, they're, they're making high income as a doctor, but sure. like, you know, your analogy of the ladder on the building that, you know, they're climbing up, like what's, what's beyond that? Like run the hospital, like, you know, that's even more paperwork. And there's like, not even what they really even want to do anyway. And so, you know, part of that is, you know, once you start making a certain level of, of income, you know, you've kind of chased that hedonic treadmill up and, and I go, collectively mm. I, and you know people call it different things midlife crises or but it was like you, you get like this fomo and the people have this fomo of like i gotta go do this side hustle and i gotta get into real estate and i gotta do an amazon drop shipping thing and i gotta yeah. go you know do x y and z and so i was like taking that and i even you know put together a term the fomo to mofo and i see you as the mofo the modern family office so now you've taking that of uh, shiny things and all that stuff. And I need to do all these business. And, but in that process, as far as what I, I wanted to kind of highlight is you really kind of stack doing one thing and getting really good at one thing first. And so there's oftentimes when other people were doing other deals or investing in other stuff, I remember having a conversation and maybe we're riding on a bus or, you know, talking, you know, and you're like, I'm just going to kind of keep pouring into multifamily. And, and it was, you'd kind of maybe graduated from single family. You started getting into multifamily. Like what was that process for you? And how did you avoid the FOMO of doing lots of other things and in kind of really digging down into one specific area? Yeah. Great question. I've seen uh, a lot of you know, it's natural, shiny object chasing. I've seen a lot of other people do that. I think to the point where I just thought, okay, that's a real hazard, right? And I think, you know, I think about sometimes playing golf, you're like, if I could just not put it in the woods, like I'm going to be doing okay. I don't need to hit amazing shots. I just need to not seriously F up something. And I, I feel like some of these shiny objects are like an opportunity to really F something up when, 
the path forward is like, let's just keep hitting like okay shots and keep advancing the ball and just, let's just stay out of trouble. I feel like half the time is just staying out of trouble, right? Let's, let's not lose money. Let's not lose investor money. Let's not, and, and sometimes that means you, it's a more boring project or whatever. So that, that helped kind of seeing other people go through that and just thinking, well, I don't want to do that. And so there's some learning from other people's mistakes. The transition for me, single family, multifamily, um, I'd done a ton of single family projects. I mean, I've done hundreds of them in my, in my life. And I started along the way borrowing private capital to do that, you know, at 10 or 12%. And that was a, that was a huge pivot point for the business because I thought, oh, shoot, if I can just do a deal between you and me and you loan me a hundred grand and I pay you 10%, you get a first lien. Well, that's way easier than dealing with the bank or a hard money lender. And there's also like, I don't know, a hundred, a thousand people that would want, maybe want to do that deal with me. So I did all these houses and I thought, okay, I've been a good steward of these people, steward of these people's capital for several years across all these projects, built my confidence enough to say, you know what, we're going to go do a 75 unit apartment complex. I feel comfortable presenting an opportunity to a handful of people to invest in this deal. I feel confident at this point, having done a lot of small projects, I can hit what I'm going to tell you I'm going to hit. And once I'd kind of done that, that was really the entry point for me into multifamily to say, okay, I've borrowed, I guess, millions of dollars at this point. They've just been one-off projects. Let's try to do it in one shot. Let's try to do 2 million bucks, 3 million, 4 million on a deal, syndicate, get 20, 30 investors together, go out and I'll, I'll lead the project. And so it was a big mindset shift, but I'd had enough kind of experience to feel good about taking on people's capital to go do that. And then once I kind of figured out that formula, I was like, all right, and it's not anything new. I mean, this is what multifamily syndication is, but getting my head around it, getting my experience level to the point where, okay, we're comfortable taking on five or $10 million on a project to go out and do, that was a big turning point and kind of back to that business model, like, you know, finding a business model that can scale up and get you where you want to go. And once I kind of had that dialed in, I just felt like, all right, this is it. So we're just going to continue to do this. We're going to fine tune the processes and the systems around this, and we're going to we're going to continue and grow this. And so that that was really that was it. You know, my transition out of single family, having borrowed uh, smaller chunks of money, and then that gave me the confidence to kind of springboard into larger deals. And then once I got done a few larger b- deals, it was like, hey, this is this is the game. We bought a deal a few years ago. I remember walking the deal where it was like the day we closed. So we we're on site. And one of the younger team members was like, are, are you excited? And I was like, no, I'm not like, this is just, this is what we do. Like we buy 300 unit deals in San Antonio and this is another one. So no, I'm actually not excited. I'm happy. It's cool. But it wasn't like, oh my gosh, we just bought a $30 million building, whatever the case is. Uh, just kind of had normalized. And, I, and I'll, you know, back to your comment about the hedonic treadmill, I mean, that, that's, you normalize anything, right? You can normalize your crummy job and justify yourself why you keep showing up. You can also normalize some amazing things that just kind of become normal over time. And I think at the end of the day, you, you have to keep coming back to filling your day up with, with meaningful work, regardless of you know, what the bank account or net worth or anything looks like. Yeah, there's um, a lot of things about that, I think, as a business owner. And, and same thing, you know, there's, it's a roller coaster, you know, there's going to be ups and downs and part of it. And you have to, and to bring it back to golf, there was a, uh, I, I worked uh, when I got out of the army as a, a bartender at a golf course 
And there was a couple guys that were scratch or professional or semi-pro kind of golfers. And, you know, the kind of the difference that I found from them, at least observing them and watching them was they were a lot more even killed than a lot of other people. Meaning like, man, you just crushed it and you, you cranked a 350 yard drive over the lake, you know, and, you know, got it up nice and close and you could be chipping in for Eagle. And they were just kind of like the same thing. Like, all right, yeah, that's just kind of according to plan. This is what we do versus the other guys that were maybe, maybe they were multifamily syndicators and, you know, value had guys and they go and crush a 350 yard drive and butter up close through, you know, like it was, it was out of the norm versus the guy that was a pro that was just like, yeah. you know, kind of to your example, steady Eddie was like, that was expected. This is how I practice this. This is the, you know, the, the draw or fade that I was putting into my, you know, swing. And that's totally normal. But also when they shank it into the water, they're not like, it doesn't disrupt their entire day and it's the end of the world. Okay. Now we just take this and play. And so that, you know, balance, and maybe that comes from experience or maybe that comes from a lot of other things, uh, you know, related. And I don't think that it was not that they weren't ultra competitive. It was not that they weren't, you know, because they were some of the most competitive gambling, you know, people that I ever met, but it was just, they were able to balance out their emotions a lot more. So, and I wanted to ask that it was like from the emotions. And I, I think at least in my own life, making mistakes and failures or struggles were some of my biggest learning lessons. And so that's kind of what I wanted to ask you is like in that process of growing and figuring out like what, if there were any, you know, big things that became catalytic for you to take it to the next level or pain points that are frustrations, um, if anything that comes to mind that, you know, were lessons for you. Yeah, everything. I mean, the result of where my business is all a result of pain, just period. So today I own property management company. You know, we've got 85 employees. I own a private equity company. I'm a partner in an educational consulting firm and I'm a partner in a brokerage. So all those came out of pain. You know, I had pain in a W-2 job. I'm going to create this private equity company. You know, massive pain in the W-2 job. Like, you know, it's awful. Um, so much pain on some deals, you know, several years back had to create a property management company. Not because I wanted to, but because the stars aligned on the right people and I was in so much pain, property management company, right? Had people come into me to, to learn multifamily, that got painful. We created a whole coaching company around it. Coaching company starts growing. We have the pain of, now I'm looking at all these deals for our coaching clients. We need a brokerage to handle this. So it's you know almost to the point, I'm, I'm as pain averse as the next guy, but almost to the point where when something slaps me in the face, I go, all right, we might be in, we might be turning a new direction here. I've seen it enough times where, holy smokes, that's painful. All right, what is this going to lead to? It's clearly going to lead to a change in behavior if you want to survive or if you want to grow and get better. So history, my history tells us that's how everything good started. <laughs> so it's like, all right, what new process, business, or thing is going to come out of this that I'm going to say, oh, so freaking glad that happened. And it's, it's so cliche and I hate it. And I'm, I don't want to negate the pain because yeah, being an entrepreneur, dealing with these type of projects, these size projects, it is wildly intense. Part of me, I think my personality, it just, I kind of wouldn't have it any other way. And that's definitely not for everybody, but 
all those pain points, you know, those companies I just mentioned were born out of a real struggle and a real feeling of desperation. And I cannot do this anymore. You know, 35 years old, I cannot show up to this job anymore. It is crushing my soul. I, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. I cannot continue living like this, like push to the edge, right? Same thing on the, I cannot use this property management company more. They're bleeding these properties dry. They're lying to me. They're stealing from us, whatever. I cannot continue to operate like this. I cannot go on, boom, create property management company, right? And, and, and on and on. So always trying to make the right move, the smart move, at every turn, you know, as business owners, we have a million decisions to make. And as investors, we have a million decisions to make. But the pain is often, you know, if as long as it doesn't wipe you out, there's probably a lesson in there or there's something that maybe you weren't willing to do that now you got so much pain, you're willing to do it. And so that's, you know, I have a just kind of a love-hate relationship now, I guess, with failure and pain is I know it's coming and it's probably going to lead to something good. And uh, all right, we're here again. Let's freaking fi- let's just try and figure out quickly what is the lesson and what is the new behavior from this pain. And you know, most time, it's it's a positive outcome or puts you in a new direction that you probably wouldn't have taken uh, otherwise. Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach says, you know, the the pain or the challenges are the raw materials for your next success. And I 100% embrace that and, and believe that. So you go, okay, how, how do we use these raw materials of this challenge or this whatever pain is happening right now? That's the raw materials for whatever great thing is next. It's my job to try and piece that together as quickly as possible. And that's, you know, that's, that's how my journey's definitely been. Yeah. I was like, I think that the definition of, of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And just the ability to understand that there's like this pain point, like you're bashing your head against this brick wall and be like, this sucks. It hurts, you know, and be like, and you keep doing it and be like, okay, you know, at some point you have to make a change uh, there. And obviously going from a W2 or sales position, I actually wanted to throw, um, some fire on the pain, uh, you know, point here. Uh, we had this conversation and, and just to, to, to rub some salt in the wounds, uh, you were going to be like maybe a billionaire at some point, uh, with some Bitcoin. And so I wanted you to tell the story about, you know, how you could have been worth like six, seven, eight hundred million dollars, or maybe I don't know what the dollar amount was. I'm sure you've done the math or maybe you've tried to ignore it. Tell me about your Bitcoin, you know, near, billionaire status. Yes. No, I love this story because I feel like, you know, people would say, oh, if I would have bought Bitcoin at X, I'd be this today. And it's like, no, you wouldn't. You would have sold it at 10X, high-fived everybody in the room, gloated, and thought you're a genius, right? And then it would 10X again, 10X again, 10X again. So I was working at a tech company in 2011, and we were uh, we would rent out these servers, and there was something called a GPU server. It's a different kind of different kind of uh, chip than than a typical CPU. It's used for graphics processing. But apparently, some people mining this Bitcoin thing thought GPU is going to be better. So we're getting some sales calls on Bitcoin. So we're like, "What's Bitcoin?" So I'm on the phone with some of the other guys in Atlanta. Like, "What is this Bitcoin thing?" And like, "Ah, it's like magic internet money. I don't know." Like. Should we we like buy a thousand dollars of it each? I don't know. What is it trading at? It's trading at 11 cents. Like, well, how do you get it? 
well, there's like a guy you meet and you have to like take him a bag of cash in the alley. And I was like, God, a thousand dollars is a lot of money to me. So that's going to be a hard pass on me. So that was, you know, I'll pull up my calculator here. A thousand dollars divided by 11 cents. It's like 9,000 Bitcoin, you know, trading at today's prices, 20 grand. 180 million. Yeah. Something like that. Um, if I got the math right. So anyway, 11 cent Bitcoin. So, you know, obviously have watched Bitcoin progress over the years. I'm actually a huge Bitcoin proponent. My, it's on the balance sheet of my companies. The, I totally have spent time in, in, to understand what it is. I think it's going to be a huge factor in the, in the future. Like I'm a huge Bitcoin advocate now. But yeah, so it's like you can't look at something and go like, oh man, I could, that could have been, you know, a billion dollars at some point you, and then you start to play through the scenarios in your mind and stuff like that. The truth is, I think I would have bought it 11 cents, sold it when it 10 X, be like, dude, I turned a thousand into 10,000. I'm a freaking genius, right? I got out at a buck. This thing's going to zero, you know, you suckers, uh, <laughs> you know, there's no way I would have held it from 11 cents to $69,000 or whatever the case is. Um, so yeah, interesting, interesting stuff there. And so, you know, I think it comes back to like now my philosophy and has been for many years is every day is a good last day, right? If you you have that billion dollars in the bank, you still are subject to that hedonic adaptation, right? You have the big house, you have the plane or whatever. That's normalized extremely quickly. Well, then now what? Well, how's your relationship with your wife, with your kids? How's your health? Because that stuff, cliche as it sounds, is way more important than the money. And nobody that is struggling with money wants to hear that, right? Nobody wants to hear Bill Gates say, money's not that important, right? It's, it's your health and your loved ones. Like, you know what? Go to hell, man. But that's the truth, right? I mean, I think everybody kind of intrinsically understands that health is more important than that stuff. So Bitcoin you know, fate is what it is. I'm actually, like I said, big into Bitcoin, <laughs> a big proponent of Bitcoin now as a sound with the world's hardest money, sound money, all that good stuff. But yeah, it was interesting kind of the look I had there. And obviously if we go back and do things differently. You know, we would, but uh, who knows that might've ruined me that, you know, at the time. Um, and for sure, I wouldn't have held on to it that long. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you would have had to forget about it. You know, it would have had to been like a thousand dollars was, you know, not a significant amount of money for you. And you put it on a, you know, USB flash, you know, drive and then forgot about it. And then all of a sudden when it's at 20,000, you're like, wait, wait a minute, I bought this, wait a minute, you know, and that, and that's kind of the thing. Cause exactly what you said, there's, there's no way if you had the wherewithal, like you're not exiting at 10,000 or 50,000 or, you know, whatever. So yeah, it's always fun to play those games. What if I just won the lottery and I had all that? You're like, yeah, yeah. whatever. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Look, two of the most common questions I get asked are where can I find good deals to invest into and is it possible to invest alongside of our deals as a passive investor? So my team and I wanted to put together an insider list where you can get first access to investment opportunities, due diligence resources, and best practices for those interested in investing passively into deals like the ones we talk about on the show. Those deals are mostly in the commercial real estate space, but I oftentimes get exclusive access to deals of people like the guests on my show. 
If those deals pass our criteria, we pass them on to those on the list. To gain access to this insider list, all you have to do is go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. We also host events, dinners, and give away VIP access to events that I'm speaking at or attending. Once again, it's www.catchkniveswithans.com and hit the big orange button on the top right of the page. For those that are serious about passive wealth building, we'll see you on the inside. Now, back to the show. You mentioned something that I think is very valuable as well, as far as at least in, in this morning, I was, I had all these pills that I was taking. I started, uh, shoot, it's probably been a year or more that I've been doing it and, you know, started doing blood work quarterly, doing inside tracker, you know, started like really like creating a lot of intention around my own life, specifically around health. And I've also seen that from you and I've seen that from, you know, we've had, you know, dinner and sit down. So I was like, how have you, and what are some of the things that you've been doing for your health that are starting to, you know, make that a priority beyond just the, you know, the wealth generation part of your life? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I was pretty intentional about creating when I, when I be, kind of went out and became full-time entrepreneur that I wanted to create a lot of space and free time in my life to pursue things I want, whether it's time with kids or I got a lot of different interests and hobbies and stuff like that. So having the space there to create that, I think is really important. And then it's interesting, the most recent thing for me, because of kind of going, this is totally off the wall, but because of going down this Bitcoin rabbit hole, you also get exposed. I read a book called uh, Bitcoin Standard by Saifedina Moose, and then I read The Fiat Standard by the same author. And he kind of paints this picture on how our corrupt money supply and this elastic money supply that a handful of people at the Fed can totally control and how that manipulates other things. He starts talking about food and how manipulated food is. And so really a handful of companies control just about every product in the grocery store. And so totally bizarre, but you see this connection between ranchers, beef, and Bitcoin because beef is has been demonized in a lot of ways because it shows a lot of inflation and it's not very profitable. So big food companies want you to have some alternative to beef. And so I um, adopted this carnivore diet, which is basically nothing. I drink water and I eat beef and I eat eggs in the morning. And it's been totally, it's even bizarre to say that, but it's been the coolest thing for my lifestyle you know, lost a few pounds, but also have like an incredible amount of energy focus and, and really not eating much of anything except food that came from an animal off a ranch, whether it's my ranch or our chickens or whatever. And so I think by process of elimination, there's no, you know, seed oil stuff. There's no processed stuff. There's no sugar, none of that. I still drink a coffee in the morning. I still like a good tequila or a red wine from time to time, but Literally, I'll sit down with you at a steakhouse. I'll order, you know, the steak medium, no sides. Have to tell the waiter twice because they're like, no sides? And you're like, literally just a la carte steak. And that's been probably the biggest thing that I've done. Also big uh, fan of just weight resistance training. So three times a week, committing to a routine for like a full body workout. So like two muscle groups a day. And it's probably a 30-minute workout, 30, 45-minute workout three times a week. And then getting sun. So it's, it's, you know, sun, steak, and steel, they say, right? So 
sun's also been demonized. Steak's been demonized. The steel or the weightlifting hasn't really been demonized, but lifting weights and just creating that resistance training to keep your muscles strong and keep them growing, eating steak and really almost nothing else, and then getting sun on a regular or daily basis. Maybe that's golf, but a lot of times go lay out by the pool and like get soak in that sun. And those three things, if I mean, I feel better and I think I'm in better shape than I've been in since my 20s. I'm 44. So that, you know, you asked, I, I try not to push my carnivore diet and my getting sun every day on people and my Bitcoin <laughs> outlook on everybody. But that is 100%, you know, what I'm into these days. And I feel freaking awesome because of it. Well, I've seen it. Uh, and that's the reason I asked is because, you know, I, I've, you know, known you for a while and seen, and I feel like, you know, you've kind of gone to Devin 3.0 or 4.0 version. And like you you carry yourself, you know, you're, you're lighter, you're moving, you know, different. And, and as you know, part of that, and maybe that's from levels of success and then realizing that, you know, leaning more into your purpose and your foundation. And, you know, you've had you know, levels of success in your, in the, the traditional way of financial, but then also pouring back into your family and now your health. And uh, I've seen your evolution of that. And so that's what I wanted to bring up. And I think that's maybe it's catch 22. I don't know which one kind of happens first. Same thing like Bill Gates, right. you know, having a billion dollars and say, Hey, your health is the most important thing. You're like, nah, man, I got to worry about my, my light bill this week, you know? And you're like, I don't care yeah. about your stupid health, you know, thing and your stupid Bitcoin. But, you know, a lot of people that maybe as far as like what we're finding out as the audience is like the, the people are similar to us. We're a, a similar demographic. They're in their 30s, their 40s. They're maybe in that W-2. Maybe they're successful making more money. They're looking for some opportunities to how to exit out of that W-2 and make that transition to being a business owner or being an investor or doing something along those, those lines. So I, I kind of want to pull that back to is like, for you, maybe talk through what that experience was at those last few years of your W-2 and then led to, you know, probably that pain point of the soul sucking W-2 and the, the ladder being on the wrong building to, how did you make that transition? What were the first steps that you had to put in place to make that initial like jump? Yeah. So the way I did it is probably a little different than I would counsel someone to do, but that's fine. I mean, you know, my, my journey is my journey. And I just seen a lot of other people do it differently. So I'll talk quickly about how I did it. And then I'll talk about how I'm seeing some other people do it. The way I did it was went to a weekend seminar, paid five figures, joined a coaching group, show me how to invest in real estate. Uh, I'm no longer part of that coaching group, but you know, I'll tell you, there was something about making that investment that made me pay attention because you can listen to podcasts, read a book, all this great stuff, right? Uh, the knowledge is all there, but the network's certainly not there, right? You really need that network kind of to do anything well. So you pay to get in the network, get the knowledge, go do it. And I just started doing uh, single family houses. So my goal was to have enough passive income to pay all my bills, at the time, my bills were pretty low, uh, but I had a wife, stay-at-home wife, and three kids, so you know, had responsibilities. I worked night and day, you know, twenty-four-seven, burned the candle at both ends for about two and a half years. W two job, I actually took a W two job with less responsibility, less money, and less worry, so I could moonlight and focus on my real estate. And morning, noon, and night, I would go work on my deals. I, and before work, I'd go show up at a deal, check on something. Noon, I would meet an escrow officer from title 
at Starbucks. We'd sign documents, buying a new house. After work, I'd go check on another project and just, I mean, round the clock working on that stuff with the dream to get to enough passive income to meet and exceed my bills. When I did that, I gave myself permission to leave the W-2 under the assumption that, man, if I took all my time and energy and put it in this, poured it into this business, I bet you we could do, you know, beat the snot out of whatever my five-year projection on my W-2 job was, right? So that definitely turned out to be the case. A lot of work, a lot of running around. The way I see people doing it now, kind of in the multifamily or larger game is get in, if they've got some disposable or if you've got some investable capital and you want to learn this business, invest as an LP, get in somebody's deal, put in 50K in a deal, follow along, watch the updates, ask some questions, check it out. Then you co-sponsor a deal with somebody. Maybe you raise some capital, maybe you take on some asset management responsibilities, but you put a team together, very common in commercial real estate or multifamily especially. And then the third step would be, you know, then you can go run your own deal. So I'm seeing people that are successful in their W-2s that have some money to invest, just kind of skip that single family track altogether, go into larger deals and explore it that way. And then over time, they're building up LP positions, they're building up some GP positions, they're building up uh, you know, their network and stuff like that, where eventually it makes sense to to move out of that W-2 job. And then they're leveraging their networks in their W-2 job. You know, if they're, I feel like everybody's kind of in the same boat, you're W-2, you're successful, maybe you're bored now and, and you're kind of trapped in this middle management thing where you're making good money, but you can't leave and just kind of humdrum at work, but the real estate stuff's kind of exciting. You can participate that in that in smaller ways and then grow that over the time over time to maybe the point where that's a full-time thing for you if you want it. If not, that's fine too. But that's kind of how I've seen that work for a lot of people and they bypass the route of, you know, buying a house and dealing with contractors and flipping the house and, you know, or dealing with single family tenants, kind of all those things that single family can be a great investment. It's just, um, it's a lot of work and it's not going to be maybe as passive as, as one might want. Yeah. I think that's the other big thing that I've, you know, advised people towards is, they're successful, you know, in, in their job, you know, some salespeople, they're making a million bucks a year. You know, some of these guys making 2 million bucks a year, or as a doctor, you know, they got trained up for 15, 20 years and they got a pretty good moat around that, you know, and then they're going to do some real estate on the side. And so, uh, the, the big thing that I try to convey out to people a lot is if you're the owner, there is no such thing as passive. Yeah. Love it. It is all active. I don't care what the asset type is. I don't care. You know, you know, there's some that are more active like short-term rentals, which a lot of people are jumping into like wild, like crazy. Like I'm gonna go sign a lease. I'm going to do an arbitrage on it. I'm going to furnish it. And then I'm going to deal with the tenants. And I actually talk in the main quick turns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. You can make higher returns, but by far and away, significantly more work. And so there, you know, again, it's the, the thing is that you're trading time for money. You need to stop trading time for money and start trading money for more time, you know, positioning yourself to, to trade, you know, your money for buying back your own time, to do the things that you want to do. And I'm going to give you another kind of, uh, you know, thing. There's a, a guy, a doctor is surgeon, probably making hundreds, if not, you know, I, I don't know what surgeon made a thousand dollars an hour, but a lot of money, you know, yep. and he owned a lot of single family houses and he was renting them out by the bedroom. So he had like 20 houses and like 60 tenants and he was going all after the call to go meet with the, the handyman. And I was just like, 
oh dear God. <laughs> like I was like, that sounds like the worst version of real estate investing that I could possibly imagine. <laughs> like not only they just right. like, but all the different tenants and the, the like the personalities of people running into it, not just one, but all I was like, oh. And he's like, look at the returns I'm making. And I was like, but what are you giving up to get those returns? You know, and in time, it becomes the most valuable asset that you have. And I bring that back to is like, so now that you're a family office, now that you're, you know, having these, I think we maybe had the, the conversation, you feel like you're maybe in, in the way at your own business. Yeah, definitely. You know, so it's like, what are you doing now? What does your day look like? What has that unlocking of, of your time freedom, you know, represented to you in your life and, and how are some of the things that have, um, or maybe systems that you've put in place to unlock that time freedom. Right. So my days today look like, again, back to this focus for me of every day is a good last day. That's the, that's the North star. It doesn't all, it's not always true. Right. I mean, sometimes I'm tired and like anybody and you have a crummy day and like, well, that wasn't a, hope I don't die at the end of this day. Cause this day sucked, but having it as a guiding principle of, Am I getting into myself myself into something that's going to require a lot of time for me doing something I don't want to do? Man, I'm going to avoid that. So I really, I've tried not to do anything I don't want to do. Thing is, I like being a business owner, right? I I like getting in there, and I and and I think you know my progression now has gone from a player to a coach to now I own the team, and those are radically different skill sets. So now I'm a team owner, and I've been in that role the least time. I've been a player forever. I was a coach for a long time. Now I'm the owner. It's a totally different kind of set of skills. But I do enjoy being the owner. And so I am uh, constantly working on new processes or initiatives. And what I use is kind of an 80% approach there. Hey, we're going to do X. And here's a game plan on it, maybe an, a, an Excel spreadsheet and a target and an outcome and a timeline. Somebody on the team, I'm giving this to you. It's This is kind of 80% of what I want. You get it out the door, ship it at 80% and then iterate it from there. And in six months, we're going to know exactly what this thing is from through doing it. So I'm a big, actually really love doing that, launching new initiatives within my companies or new projects or things like that. Uh, I'm the visionary, right? It's there's visionary and integrator. And so it took me a while to kind of embrace that role. And I think the term visionary is kind of stupid, but in the, ter- in the context of the book, Rocket Fuel from Gino Wickman, that's it. You got your visionary and then you got your integrator that's kind of like the person that makes all the pieces of the, of the business work. And so now that I have the integrator in my companies, I'm freed up to be more the visionary and I love that stuff. So I actually do, I work quite a bit. You know, sometimes it's a regular schedule, eight to five. You know, any of those days I could go play golf all day. Any of those days I could go grab my boys and we jump in the helicopter and we fly out to one of the ranches and go hunting. And we do that all the time. Any of those days, I could grab my family, throw them in our plane and go to, Flo- go to the beach in Florida. And we do that too. But you know, we're not going to spend six months on an extended vacation flying around the country in the plane. We'd go bonkers, right? So to me, it's all ingredients of a full life. Part of that ingredient is you know, giving away money via the foundation. Freaking love it. Can I give away all the money? Can't do that. That's... You can't eat pizza all day. Every, I guess you can eat steak all day, every day. You can't do that. But you can't give away all the money. It's just part of it. You can't spend all your time with your wife. You go crazy, right? You got to have like this balance. So to me, it's just, 
I'm, I'm a rest. I'm completely restless. I need to be into something all the time. And whether that's working on a golf game or hunting or, or, uh, you know, flying or spending time with the family, it's just kind of a full schedule of all those things. And work is a very, very important, meaningful part of that because being an entrepreneur, I think, you know, there's, there's no, my brother told me this many years ago, my older brother, who's always been an entrepreneur, he said, there's no vehicle for personal improvement better than being a business owner. And I, I believe that. I mean, there's so many challenges. The things are constantly changing. You're constantly having to adapt to the marketplace or variables. And to me, it's the best game. It's just the best freaking game. So I like playing that game, but I like to play it on my own terms. And if I, you know, if I'm getting burnt out or whatever, see, ya, I'm going down to the ranch and I'm going to unplug because I've, I've got the time, freedom, and the, and the ability to do that. Um, but I'm only going to unplug as long as I need to recharge my batteries to, to come back to the game. So I think it's a pretty efficient way to, to manage my energy, uh, to be able to have all these outlets for fun stuff and family experiences and downtime for me and quiet time for me. But at the end of the day, without the, the counterbalance of showing up into the business arena and duking it out with whatever variables you're faced with, to me, it's it's just part of the it's one of the ingredients that's got to be there. Otherwise, what what are you struggling against? I think you've got to have something to be pushing and struggling against. That is, um, you know, sage advice. I think because there was a time that I became a millionaire before thirty, and then lost it all in the subprime kind of meltdown, and and so. I was actually the worst version of myself when I was not working. Me too. Um, and because, you know, it, it's like, cool, you made it. I, I didn't move the goal line. I didn't move the goal to, to what's next. You know, I just felt like, yeah, cool, you made it. Like, I did it. Like, I didn't know that there was more to, to the point you even brought up at the, the beginning of this was like not having a peer group of understanding that there is more, there are other things and aspects to, to life. You know, you, you kind of got lucky or I did and, you know, on a, on a timing of the market where everything was going crazy. And I thought I was really good. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, I had a lot of flaws and lessons that I had to learn to, you know, retool. And the biggest one was I need to be pursuing something. I have to be, you know, growing. I love that, that you said, entrepreneurship is like the ultimate personal development, you know, because it's like, you know, seems like, you know, every day you're going to go solve a new problem that has never existed in your life before, or maybe it's the same problem that keeps occurring and be like, at some point you got to fix this, or you're just going to keep dealing with it. So like, where are you, you know, seeing your growth in the next, you know, years? Like, do you have a three-year kind of vivid vision? Like, where do you see, your growth path moving forward and what are you challenging yourself to do better at? Yeah, such a great question. You know, I'm the same way and I think a lot of any entrepreneur really is where you, you've got to be pursuing something. So current state, you know, it's Q4 2022. We're having this conversation. Our targets for next year are to place $100 million of capital in deals. So we think that looks like $50 million in land we think that looks like a fair bit of the rest in multifamily and a fair bit of the rest in industrial deals. And so that's what the team is structured around. It's what people's goals are structured around. It's what our company metrics are structured around. I like a one-year target. It's immediate. You can constantly monitor it and adjust. The, I would call, uh, 
I would call it maybe a five-year target. This is still kind of taking shape, but at some point, I think we're going to put a finer point as an organization around having a billion dollars assets under management. So that is a nice big number to go pursue. You know, do we put that on a 10-year horizon? Do we put that on a five-year horizon? I haven't really fleshed that out. I, I think I've resisted having that vague of a goal because I just, I don't like vague goals without a real clear steps to get there. And a billion asset under management to me feels like, man, I'm gonna have to build a whole lot more things. And, and I like a one-year goal where I know exactly what the steps are, who the players are, what the tasks are. Up, 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 up. So feel pretty good about the one-year goals and the team we have in place to go execute on that. But the billion asset under management, you know, I mean, really my companies, my property management company and my private equity company, my goal is that those things run for a hundred years. And there's no, you know, if somebody came and made me a ridiculous offer on a silly multiple for those companies, I wouldn't sell it because then it'd be back to, okay, I got this money in the bank. What do I do with it? I'm going to invest in real estate. With who? Well, shoot. I want to own the management company and the private equity company. I want to have the family office. So never want to sell it. So now it's just a game of really for me, how much can the foundation grow? Because the foundation has a systematic portion of profits that go to it. If it's growing, that means all the other companies are growing. And that's kind of my new metric is like, can we give away a million bucks through the foundation? You know, and when we get there, can we give away two or five or 10? Um, and that to me is the balance, I think, for the whole ecosystem on top of, you know, providing a livelihood for 85 people and probably 150, 100 people and, and probably 200 people at some point. That's super awesome. But I think if I could distill it down to one metric, it's, what can we give away through the foundation? Like to me, that's a real easy, like one metric for everything. What the foundation do this year? And what are we going to do with it next year? Because that is like, it all kind of ends up there and is an indication of the profit of and health of the rest of the companies. And it just feels freaking awesome to, to do. Like, it's just killer. And I think, I think people know that, you know, we've had candidates come to us and tell us that, man, we wanted to be a part of your organization because we saw that you're uh, the philanthropy that you're doing. I could kind of see it with the team that like, oh, this guy or this company's not just about wringing every nickel out of this deal. We want, obviously, we're fiduciary for our investors. We are doing that, but it doesn't just stop there, right? There's another layer to it. And that's, you know, that's kind of my... I guess one metric that I'm most excited about is what can we do with the foundation, knowing that all these things are set up and the foundation grows if the rest of the companies are healthy. That makes me super motivated beyond myself and my lifestyle and my family's lifestyle to go pour everything I have into these companies so that the, you know, so that some kid gets a freaking hearing aid, you know, or a hundred kids or a thousand kids do. So that to me is just like, back to that kind of perpetual motion machine, there's, there's no like, there's no someday. This is it, man. We're doing it. Let's keep doing it. And let's keep playing the game to the best of our ability. And that to me is like the most fun I could imagine. I actually the other day brought up and I, I'm fairly certain it was you. We were at dinner and we were talking about the big checks about giving those out. And I think it was you that told me this, that they're actually like a dry erase, like check. 
Yeah, they are. <laughs> I never knew that till we bought them. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> now you can order the, but I'm like, what? Cause I'm like, okay, what the foundation runs on like no overhead. We have like our monthly QuickBooks was like 60 bucks. We have no payroll, nothing. It's just all like donation income from the other companies. But I'm like, how much are we going to spend on these, these giant checks? Cause we want to bring people in, take photos with them, all this stuff. No, it's like a $60 dry erase. You just write in the thing every time. And so learn something new every day. But when we get moved into the new office, if we're doing grants over say 10 grand, we're going to tell them, Hey man, come down to the office. We're going to give you this $20,000 check. Take a picture with the whole team. You know, that'll be more exposure for your organization. It's great exposure for us. It's fun, you know, so with the team can get involved. And so, yeah, we'll have the, we'll have the dry erase, uh, the dry erase board there. Oh, that's awesome. I, I love that because I, I was sitting down the other day in the conference. I was like, somebody told me this the other day. And I was like, I just, same thing. It was just like one of those uh, epiphany type moments. It was like, I never even realized. It's like so many things, you don't know what you don't know. Right. 100%. As we're kind of wrapping this up and to, uh, you know, get, respect your time, um, I ask a couple of different questions. These are kind of rapid fire. You don't have to take them in rapid fire succession. But the one of the things is, what is one thing that you have invested into or purchased that has given you more time freedom? Our CRM system is the brain of the company, and I absolutely love that. But so I, I, I got to mention that, but there's all kinds of tech solutions along those lines, right? Investor portal, things like that. Um, I think it's really good people and that's it. You know, good, good leaders within my company that can hire and grow other leaders. That's why the companies have grown like hands down. That's it. For those people, what is your CRM that you like? We use one called Insightly, which, you know, we've customized to high heaven. I think it's you know, there's a million CRMs out there. That's just the one we've standardized on, been on it for years. Awesome. And books or podcasts that you recommend that you have gifted or shared to other people the most um, or mentioned the most, something like that. It's, and maybe it's a little bit that's not the mainstream kind of ones um, that has made the biggest impact on your kind of life and that you've shared out more. Yeah, there's, um, you know, there's a period of, 20 some odd years where I would just consume absolutely everything, right? The Think and Grow Rich and every book. I've kind of gotten away from that in recent years. I feel like, man, at some point, you know, shoot, you, you just want to live your life and pursue the things you're interested in. And I feel like the business gives me a lot of, of growth opportunities. There was a book called that was very influential on me that I think you might have recommended to me. It was, uh, the author's name is Daniel Priestley, and it's called Oversubscribed. And that book really influenced how our company raises capital. And I don't, I'm sure it's sold a bunch of copies, but it's not like, oh, think and grow rich, right? So if you're raising capital or putting together, if you have a business, period, I really like Oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley. It's a number of years old. I read his follow-up book. I didn't like it as much, but for whatever reason, that book oversubscribed just hit me at the right time and was like, wow, that, that was awesome. And the premise, you know, the, the one sentence takeaway is instead of spending your money externally on marketing, spend your money on your customers that already know, like, and trust you to doing business and grow organically through referrals, which is how we've grown our business. Not, not rocket science, but great book kind of breaking down and giving some practical concepts around that. Yeah. I, I've, I've, 
loved a lot of Daniel Priestley stuff. I think that's his, probably his best book um, that he he put out there was exactly that concept. And I think it, it was hit me at some point where George Perez had uh, dead real estate principles and he actually created kind of an auction environment for his condos in the subprime meltdown. He was able to sell out his project from that scarcity kind of mindset that then created this perpetual flywheel of success. And I, I've seen you do that over and over again. And um, all the things that I hear is that, you know, your systems that you put in place. And, and actually, I want to kind of pull back to uh, how grateful I am for you as a friend. Also, even the way that you're thinking about things, the, you know, the world class investor experience, you know, the way that you've thought through that you've, you know, put together systems, you know, your communication from that is, is something that I, I aspire to as far as, and I use you as example for oftentimes, even internally in our own teams and through our hiring process, I'm slower. Uh, so I'm just a dumber version that I got to figure out how to do some of these things afterwards. And so, uh, it's like, damn it, Devin did told me about that two years ago and I should have just done it when he's told me it. So, uh, thank you very much. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for your friendship and, and the path that you're blazing the, the way and your success is just like, you know, shining a light on how that can be amplified out into the world and pour these blessings down into other people's. And for, if it's hearing aids or, you know, scholarships or all these other things, seeing it real time, seeing the way that you lean into your family, embrace that. It is, uh, it's awesome. It's awesome to see. It's awesome to call you a friend and thank you very much for spending your time uh, and sharing it on this Passive Wealth Principles. Where can people find you? And are there any things of any questions of the audience that they can do to help give you value, any deals or opportunities and when you're sharing kind of your contact information? No, I really appreciate that. And it, look, it's been awesome being friends with you for many years now and getting to see stuff and getting to hear you know, your unique perspective on things. You have a ton of energy and a ton of vision for what you're doing. And I, it always rubs off on me and gives me new ideas. And so thank you for that. Our company's called DJE. So you could Google DJE Texas or the website's djetexas.com. Find us there. There's a lot of information, things like that. You could sign up for, you know, we get the podcast, different stuff there. As far as, you know, what we're looking for, we're looking to buy multifamily in Texas. We do a lot of land deals and we kind of have the the team and the machine sort of, sort of running. Um, but you know, would welcome anybody reaching out, setting up a call, you know, wh whatever the case is, always looking to, to learn and connect with other like-minded entrepreneurs, things like that. I love that stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you, Devin. And have a fantastic day. Jake, great catching up. Thanks so much for having me on, man. We'll, we'll see you soon. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on Passive Wealth Principles Podcast. Make sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. If the episode made you think of someone, go ahead and take a screenshot and share this episode with them. You can tag us or find us as a podcast at Catch Knives or me personally at Jake.RealEstate. For those investors that are listening to this and want to be able to take advantage of distressed investing opportunities, a perfect place to start is my best-selling book, which also happens to be called Catching Knives. It's a full breakdown and guide on how I and many of my partners take advantage of opportunities in distressed commercial real estate. Go to www.catchkniveswithans.com and grab the book there as there's a few book bonuses that I know you'll love. 
Once again, www.catchkniveswithns.com. Take care and I'll see you in the next episode.